Hey kids, welcome back to On Stage, Off Stage. I'm your host, George Sapio, and this is episode number 124, December 2019. Our guest this month is Tania Sina. Tania is the executive director, co-founder, and head of pedagogy for Intimacy Directors International, a not-for-profit organization pioneering best practices for theatrical intimacy, simulated sex, and performance nudity for theater, TV, and film. Until recently, depiction of sexual situations in these media has been largely left up to the director and actors to stage, most of whom were not trained in safe practices or are familiar with creating safe and protected spaces for the actors to perform in. Let's face it, this issue has always been relevant, if somewhat professionally ignored, and certainly no less critical for personal safety in the arts than today. Ms. Cena co-formed Intimacy Directors International to allow performers and producers to create scenes of personal intimacy in complete safety. An organization like Intimacy Directors International is something that should have always been there. In movies and plays and television, we see scenes of great intimacy, and those are difficult to... I guess, to maneuver through for the directors, for the actors. So how long have you been engaged in with this, you know, this particular issue? And what was your process like in founding Intimacy Directors International? Sure. So um, I began as an actress um, in my younger years. Um, I started performing at the age of about 14, 15 and um, even before the before I turned eighteen, I had several incidents of having to perform simulated sex acts on stage, kissing, groping, things like that. Mm-hmm. So I was already doing these things as a minor. Um, they were never choreographed, and they were always inappropriate. Now looking back, um, but that was just how things were done. And so all the way through college, I was asked to do many, many different kissing scenes or just intimacy scenes um, that were just sort of, hey, you're the actor, you do it, Um, you know, and I had to choreograph myself most of the time. Um, Or sometimes it was just improv. It was just go try, try something, kiss him. Um, And it was felt very victimizing to me. And I came from an abusive home uh, growing up. So I kind of recognized um, bullies pretty easily throughout my career um, and was always standing up to them and which always got me in trouble as a, as a younger person. Mm-hmm. Um, and so through college, I, I kept demanding better treatment, never getting it, but just demanding it. Um, I ended up falling into stage combat when I was in college um, and uh, fight directing. And it really, I loved it. It had discipline. It had targets. It had, you know, all these techniques that I really, I really loved. And I noticed that, you know, intimacy didn't have anything, um, any sort of guidance. And so when I was in graduate school at Virginia Commonwealth University, I was training to become a stage combat professor. That was what I was training to do. And people were asking me to choreograph all these scenes of intimacy. Of course, then it wasn't called intimacy. It was just called sex scenes. Right. Um, And so I started noticing, like, okay, well, if I'm going to do this, I really want a technique to this. I don't want to just, you know, go in with no information. So I went to my mentors and I asked them, is this is this just some like a book or something I could read? Somebody maybe doing this work that is, you know, that choreographs sex scenes on stage. And they were like, not that we know of. (laughs) 
Was there anything and, like uh, that in the industry at all that anybody would heard of? I mean, it seems like it no. should have been an obvious thing. No, no one was calling themselves an intimacy director at that time. Right. People were just handling it on their own and kind of creating their own methods, um, which most directors didn't really have any method. They were just like, oh, actors are improving, and then, you know, improv something, and then we'll go from there right. with the technique. Um, and so I just decided that wasn't good enough for me and um, asked my mentors if it would be okay for me to specialize in this and to write my thesis on it. And so that was when my research really started, right around 2003. Um, and so, because there was nothing, I mean, I searched the internet, I searched high and low, there was nothing. I, I even looked into pornography to see if maybe they had choreography for that. Right. Even though I wasn't choreographing sex, real sex, I was choreographing simulated sex. But I thought maybe that would be a good start. And most pornography was not really all that choreographed. So um, that didn't really help. Um, I did look into modern dance uh, as some of my research for my thesis, but it wasn't really the same as what I was looking for. Nobody had a technique, a protocol. And um, and one of the reasons I wanted to do it was because of how many times I felt like I had been assaulted on stage. And as I was navigating this, I, I decided, okay, well, you know, I'm going to call myself an intimacy choreographer because I really love doing this. I feel like there's a gaping hole here. I feel like when I choreograph these scenes, the actors feel more confident. They feel safer. They're not going to get assaulted on stage. There's no confusion of whether or not it's real or who's leading or who's following because I'm on the outside guiding them. So they don't have to think about who's who's really doing it or is it the character doing it or all that confusion. What was their initial so that reaction was when I really, to you? Well, they were relieved totally relieved okay because they didn't have to do the work you know they could just focus on acting they didn't have to focus on on what they were going to do they just focused on how they were going to do it so i was giving them a roadmap and then they would just relax and all the sex scenes became 10 times sexier because they relaxed you know so yeah. that was the initial discovery was oh my gosh this all looks better these sex scenes look way better when you choreograph them and so that was the beginnings of my research. And um, and so then after I graduated and I specialized in this, I graduated in 2006, which is when the thesis was published. Um, I, I was so certain that this is what I was meant to do, more so than stage combat. But I realized that it couldn't be an add-on. It couldn't be I'm a fight director who choreographs sex because then it would never be taken seriously as its own field. Right. So I actually dropped fight direction completely so that I could be called an intimacy choreographer and intimacy director. And um, that was a choice that I had to make, kind of take one for the team way back in the day. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, so I, I just completely stopped. I only chased intimacy scenes and I stopped choreographing mm -hmm. fights altogether. Um, and I even went online to be like, okay, what can I call this? Can I call it sex choreography is not really it. Because I'm in academia, and that will never be taken seriously. And, you know, I, then I will also have a reputation. So I had to call it something else. And I, I looked, I was like, okay, eroticism choreography? Is it, is it, you know, sensuality choreographer? No, no, it's intimacy seemed like the best term for it. So that's what I went with. And I kind of coined that phrase in my, in my thesis. And it's intimacy choreography. And that's what I started calling myself from 2006. It does seem like the best choice. Yeah, because it didn't. It wasn't always sex that I was choreographing. Sometimes mm -hmm. it was just, you know, um, chemistry or non-contact 
sexuality or yeah. a gesture. So sex choreographer didn't make sense anyway. Um, intimacy seemed like the umbrella that it made sense to be. And, and as I kept going forward, it, it was very solidified to me that that was the right choice. Right. right. Um, so I continued doing that for about 10 years, shouting into the void that this was important and that other people should be doing this. And that look at how much better it is when it's choreographed and look at how much safer these actors are. They're not getting assaulted anymore when they have a choreographer. And maybe we need to have more protocols like this. Maybe there should be a speech about this. Maybe there should be, you know, um, other, other forms of protecting actors because people were still getting hurt. And so this was all before the Me Too movement. But um, I, I started working with Alicia Rodas and Siobhan Richardson right around 2014. They both found me in different ways. Uh, Siobhan had wanted me, she's a Canadian, and she wanted me to teach a workshop in Toronto. I had been really, I, I had published an article and put it in a, um, a Fight Master periodical, which is for all the, the Society of American Fight Directors. Everybody gets the magazine. Right. So I, I wrote an article for that about introducing intimacy choreography to that. Like, this is what I'm doing. Um, this is how I do it. Here's some guidelines. I even put a little kissing protocol chart in the article. Um, I think all of that is on our website if you want to look at it. But um, it's it it, it kind of went over really well with most of them. They were like, oh, this is actually really helpful. And so <clears throat> Alicia and Siobhan kind of found me through that. <clears throat> and so once Siobhan invited me to Toronto and then I realized that Alicia was starting to do this work on her own, she contacted me to say, hey, I'm not stepping on your toes. I know that you have a method and I really respect you, but I'm also teaching intimacy and I'm trying it out in a workshop and I don't want you to think I'm stealing your information. And I said, you know what? Why don't we just join forces? I don't want to be alone in this industry anymore. I would love to form an organization of people who want to do this, just maybe even a club of people who want to do this. And so we got together and decided this should be a nonprofit because it was such a big endeavor that we just thought this would be a really great nonprofit sort of goal that we can say, what we're trying to do is create protocol for everybody for the industry. We can talk to equity. We can talk to SDC. We can talk to all these organizations that are trying to make things safer and we can make this better. Then the election happened and then me too happened. So all of this was happening right around the same time of us forming this organization. What year was and this? So we, we formed it in 2016, okay. but we were getting together in 2000. It took about a year to really establish it. All right. So we're talking about uh, the last so, election. Yes, okay. we are. Yeah. That changes the, um, the tone considerably. For sure. For sure. Because then suddenly people were looking for an answer. Um, you know, the, the Chicago theater standards and a profiles theater event happened um, in 2016, I believe, maybe 2015, right around the same time. And so all these people were starting to come forward with their stories. Yeah. And then artistic directors and producers were going, oh, my God, what is happening? This is a nightmare. You know, we have all these suddenly all these grievances coming to the boards, you know, mm -hmm. everyone's handling it horribly. And they're like, what do we do? Who's got a solution to this? And our phone started ringing off the hook at, at right around then, right around 2016. Sure. Yeah. So um, people were just, we, you know, wanting our protocol 
I've been trying to understand. So we really solidified our pillars around then and published them on our website for everybody to see so that we could offer some solution. And then we began. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, well, that was just when we started teaching workshops to in academia and teaching workshops mm. to theater companies, and it really started taking off at that point. Okay, what went into these workshops? Um, so I've been teaching workshops really since 2006, but the workshops are teaching actors how to perform intimacy because that's never been a class in school. Right. You know, we all yeah. had swords, you know, rape your dagger in school, but we never had intimacy. And so I was teaching classes like this. Um, I taught an entire semester of intimacy in 2010 in Oklahoma, which went over really, really well as an elective. Um, and that gave me a lot of information of how to proceed. Um, and so a lot of the workshops I was teaching were in conjunction with stage combat workshops because they didn't have my own resources to, to hold them on their own. Right. But then people started asking for intimacy outright and just come to our school and teach intimacy. And so that's what I started doing. Um, and, and it was teaching act up, teaching the actors how to perform it, but also teaching faculty how to deal with it and how teaching other staff members and directors how to direct these moments, um, which then turned into other people who wanted to specialize in intimacy. And I thought, okay, great, let's do that. And at first I thought, let's just have everybody who wants to do it be on. And then I realized this is a bad idea because people could get hurt if you don't have any training and you try to say that you're an intimacy director. And we had a few incidents where somebody who was not trained uh, went into a room and tried to intimacy direct and then ended up traumatizing oh somebody. Yeah. So we were like, okay, no, we can't do that. We need to certify people. We need to know that they're, that they're capable of handling this. They need to have training in advocacy in um in diversity and inclusion they need to be able to have gender awareness and um sensitivity training while also being a choreographer a director and a teacher at the same time and those are a lot of skills mm -hmm. <laughs> so yeah. we realized you, oh my god how long did it take you to oh, put that ahead. curriculum together um it took uh, i mean i mean it sounds really, like an awful lot of things to cover it is. It is a lot. Um, and, you know, we, we're doing our best to train people as quickly as possible. We can't train people from scratch. So we can't train somebody coming straight out of college. We need people who have been in the industry for a long time, who are already directors, who are already choreographers, who, who learned to be movement people already. And then they come to us mm -hmm. for the certification on top of what they already know. So our, our apprentices are all extremely experienced choreographers and directors or actors or wherever they're coming from. They come from different areas, but they all have to be choreographers to do this work. Okay, so you're adding on top to their already existing abilities rather than taking people straight out, like you said, straight out of college. So far, yeah. I mean, maybe down the line we could have a better training program that goes from scratch because, you know, maybe people will start teaching intimacy in college and mm -hmm. then they'll have, be a little more equipped once they leave. But without any intimacy training as undergrads or as young artists, they, they can't be a choreographer in this just without that kind of experience. Right. Okay. So let's say I'm a director or, you know, choreographer mm -hmm. or such like that. And I need help with, you know, a certain scene or a certain passage, um, or I want to become 
a counselor myself? Let's say I want to become a counselor myself. What do I go through? Well, we don't call ourselves counselors. Okay. Um, because we are not therapists. Um, and we make sure everybody knows that. Uh, right. We are. We do have mental health first aid certification, which is like CPR for mental health. It's a course that anyone can take. It's a two-day course that you can take probably in your in your city. They usually offer it for free. Some states you have to pay a little fee, but you do this little certification course, like just like CPR. Yep. All of our intimacy directors have to do that. Um, but uh, it, it, essentially, if a director is interested in becoming certified with us, um, they have to come to several workshops get to meet us, get to know us so that we can trust them. You know, uh, they have to get some hours in under us so that they can see how our method is. Cause other people have other methods. We like our method. Um, and then they can apply to become an apprentice with us. And then we have an apprentice program, which we're right now kind of expanding because we just got our very first, very, very large class. Uh, of, of, of apprentices and we're it's kind of a skeleton crew trying to freelance all these jobs on you know boots on the ground while we're trying to train more of us at the same time mm-hmm. so it's actually a lot of work and while we're running the nonprofit. so um and there's only about four of us doing all that wow <laughs> uh yeah and it's a lot of demand too yeah um but well, that's, that's we, good. I'm glad there's a lot of demand because people need to. Oh, you know, me too. Yeah, absolutely. It's a good problem to have for sure. Um, and so they apprentice with us for a, a maximum of two years. Sometimes it's less depending on how much experience they're coming in with. But after two years, we assess where they are, how they feel. Um, usually it, it's like they know when they're ready to be certified because it's it's kind of the kind of thing like the more you learn, uh, the more you know that you don't know about. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah. you kind of go through this phase of oh my gosh, there's so much I don't know, and so we allow them to really feel like they have to be able to answer every question that anyone has. And if they feel like they're not ready for that, then they're probably not ready for certification because there's a lot of questions people ask that we have to be ready to answer. Little things like, what do you do if you have to choreograph this nude scene and the person doesn't want to do it on opening night? Or, you know, <laughs> what do you do if um, if somebody has their period and they have to be naked? Yeah. You know, things like that, that that are really intimate questions that everyone has to know how to answer before. Because if you say, you know what, I don't know the answer to that. You can say that. But, you know, it's uh, you, it's a lot sometimes. It's overwhelming how many questions people want to ask about this stuff. Well, and I'm, it's ever-changing. It's evolving every day because it's a brand-new specialty. Well, I'm sure there's got to be thousands of questions and literally thousands of issues. I mean, given various people's histories, various people's sexualities, uh, gender yes. you know, uh, situation, uh, uh, script... <laughs> Okay. Every situation has got to be almost starting over from scratch. It is. And every actor, we have to tailor the work for them. So, you know, we all have to take into consideration their physical and emotional boundaries in the work. And so that's part of the job is to make sure that we're honoring their boundaries, but still telling the story of the script while not being counselors, but being advocates so that everyone's voice is being heard. Right. I mean, creating a safe space is tough enough, but this seems to be just 
<laughs> creating a very safe space. Yes, yes. Uh, and it all takes a lot of vulnerability from everybody. Everybody yeah. has to be communicating. Everybody has to be open. You know, and we have to we have to role model that. You know, we have to be open too. So that's part of the job is 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 disarming the room and making sure they trust you. Yeah. And depending on you know what my package is, that might change. You know, we have some intimacy directors. Um, Dan Granke is an intimacy director. Fine, he's a very very large, burly bear of a man. So he comes into a room. It's very different than when I come into a room. I say I'm the intimacy director and people are like, yeah, that makes sense. But he comes into the room and he has to work a little harder to get their trust because he looks in yeah. some ways like somebody who might be an offender in some of people's minds. Yeah. I was going to so, ask you about that. I mean, how much more difficult is it for a man to be an intimacy director than it is for a woman? I'm, like you said, most people would naturally trust a woman because they're on the side that has usually been the victim in these sorts statistically, of things? Yeah, statistically, statistically, yes, sure. Yeah. Now knowing that women can, of course, also be offenders, um, but at the same time, yeah, they they do have other challenges that they have to to work harder to get people to trust them. Maybe, um, you know, I'm not a man, so I don't, I can't answer directly what right. my experiences are with that. But I do know that all of my intimacy director apprentices that are men have to be extremely aware of how they're speaking, how their bodies are in the space, how they, um, you know, how they listen. They have to make sure to listen more. Mm -hmm. um, they have to make sure that they're not intruding or interrupting when other people are speaking, you know, things that in the past were stereotypically ways that, you know, you control a room it is not going to work now because right. of this culture shift. Yeah. And the so is, they do have to work harder to desensitize. Yeah. Yes, it yeah. is. Thankfully. <laughs> yes, about time. Um, yeah, I think so. Hey kids, thanks for tuning in. This is On Stage, Off Stage. I'm your host, George Sapio. This is episode number 124, December 2019, and we are talking with Tonia Cena. Ms. Cena is the executive director, co-founder, and head of pedagogy for Intimacy Directors International, a not-for-profit organization pioneering the best practices for theatrical intimacy, simulated sex, and performance nudity for theater, TV, and film. We were just getting into what actually happens when Ms. Cena and or her counselors are engaged to advise on a scene with intimate content. I want to do a setup here and have you walk me through this. Um, you walk into a theater rehearsal room where there is going to be a scene or scenes of an intimate nature. Um, mm -hmm. What happens? How do, you, how do you engage the director? How do you engage the actors? And... What kind of issues do you find are the most prevalent to deal with? I mean, because this, okay. this, this is probably territory that nobody but you has been through yet. And, you you know, it's to actually fight training is one thing. You say, all right, don't hit him in the head with the sword. This is what you do. This is permission. <laughs> right. Okay. Um, the other person has, you know, the ability to say yes or no. Um, what happens here? What happens with this kind of a situation? Yeah, so it's different than fighting in yes. that it it it's much more dangerous in some ways in that because we like to say that two people fighting 
don't generally have feelings of rage towards each other the more they work. You know, they kind of tend to get closer to each other the more they work. Right. And with intimacy, the second that lips are touching, the second that bodies are touching, there's physiological changes that happen in the body to tell you that this is real. And so we have to make sure the actors understand the difference between the character's sex life and the actor's sex life. And those have to be separate. So we have methods of having them tap in and tap out of, of those moments mm-hmm. so that they can take a lot of breaks. They can walk away from it when they need to walk away from it, that we're not allowing the body. We can, you know, the body has arousal at a certain point. We have to make sure that we're stopping it before it gets to arousal to a point where the brain starts thinking this is some kind of real thing. And so that's why we take a lot more breaks. Um, so when I walk into a rehearsal and I'm, and I'm choreographing anything, the first thing I do is we talk about consent. And we talk about, okay, you know, you don't have to do anything that you feel like you um, can't or, or aren't able to do. I can't prevent you from being uncomfortable. Uncomfortable is something that is going to happen anyway. You know, acting is uncomfortable. But I don't want it to be unsafe. And there's a difference between uncomfortable and unsafe. So we kind of talk about that. You know, um, I am trained to see trauma in bodies and hopefully prevent trauma from happening. So I can tell when an actor is uncomfortable with a move before they even know they're uncomfortable. And so a lot of this is, okay, is it okay if he puts his hand there? And is it okay if you put your hands here and here? And they might say, yes, and that's great. And then we try it, and then I can tell that they're not necessarily saying yes still. And I'm like, okay, you seem uncomfortable. Is there any way we could adjust this so that you're comfortable? And so it's it's a matter of almost negotiating every step of the way so that we're not pushing them beyond a, a boundary that they've set or that they're being coerced into something, more importantly. Because in the past, it was, you're getting paid, you better do it. If mm-hmm. you don't, you're being difficult. Or if you don't do it, I can replace you. Or if you don't, you know, there's a million other girls out there that can do this role or, or guys out there that can do this role or whoever. Yeah. So, you know, that's no longer something we can do. We can't kick somebody out because of a, an emotional boundary that they have. We can work around it. And so all of the choreography is tailored to those two actors. If it were two other actors, the choreography would be different. So we're still telling the story. The script is always the story. Mm-hmm. And the director is in the room. So I keep checking in with the director to make sure, is this the story we're telling? Yes, great. Now I can continue. Or, no, that's not really what I was looking for. It needs to be, you know, more lustful. Okay, great. I can do that. So the director is integral to this process. They have to be in the room with me or else, you know, the choreography is going to be what I want and not what the director wants necessarily. Um, And at the same time, the stage manager is also incredibly important because they are notating all of the moves and, and keeping track of what it looks like as we rehearse it and as we block it. Because when I'm not there, the stage manager is in charge of making sure that that choreography doesn't change once it's set. Right. So, um, and that's part of preventing assault is in the past, you could be on stage with somebody performing an intimacy scene Mm -hmm. and suddenly they're groping you or kissing you more than you had agreed upon and you're being assaulted in front of 500 people, which has happened to me. 
Um, and in that moment, you have to be in character receiving an assault because no one discussed that the choreography was going to go this way. Right. And that's what we're trying to prevent. It's, it's the choreography cannot change just like stage combat. You don't add a punch to the choreography. You know, you don't kick somebody that wasn't ready for that. So in intimacy, we don't add a kiss. We don't add a grope. We don't add anything that wasn't already set. And that doesn't mean the choreography can't melt into itself and, you know, settle. It can do that. But the container never changes. That has to stay the same. Um, and that's something that we go through an intimacy call before the show every night to yeah. make sure that it's the same. It sounds like so a thousand a, a big, stages of permission. It is. It yeah. is. And, you know, and, I, and we like to say that there's a difference between giving the actors permission to do something and giving them, making sure that they have consent that I cannot consent on their behalf. I can right. only give them permission. They are the ones that have to consent to it. So I can say, is it okay if he touches you here? And they still have to turn to each other and say, can I touch you here? You know, they still have to get consent from each other. Right. So it, it adds at the beginning, the extra step of asking. But then after that, once you've done it, you don't have to ask every single time. It's not like every time you touch, you have to keep asking. Sure. Once you've already settled, this boundary is okay. Then you can continue and not have to ask for that boundary. But if you're going to touch somewhere else, then you have to ask permission before you touch that place. So whenever you're touching up somewhere new, you have to ask. You know, whenever you're trying something new, you just ask first. Mm -hmm. um, and that should go off stage too, but you know. Yeah, well, um, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> but for the most part, yeah, you don't have yeah. to. So some people think, okay, we're going to be stopping the process to ask for too much consent. And that's not how it goes. Let me ask you this. Do, is there a difference in training or a difference in reaction? This is a softball question because it sounds obvious to me. But between males and females, okay, going through these kinds of sessions all right i'm assuming they mm -hmm. would behave differently but only because i'm i'm a guy um <laughs> is is there a, a, a have you noted a, a generic kind of difference between how they react and how they're how you have to deal with them um well you know early on i started doing this because i was like you know women statistically were getting hurt more often i thought and then as I really started really working on this, I realized, you know, men have to play rapists and that's not easy. You know, like it's not easy to, to play uh, an aggressive character or predator, you know, and you have to take that on to yourself. So usually I was seeing in scenes, everybody's like, oh, is she okay? Is she okay? When no one's asking him if he's okay in those scenes. And so early, early on, and this was in the early 2000s, before we had a lot of discussions about gender, you know, the way that we know now that, right. that it's yeah. not, a, not a binary, you know. But, yeah, I would say um, it's only different in that the cultural stereotypes of what we've put on gender is present. Um, and also with orientation, that's always present. But, you know... Anyone can be an offender and anyone can be a victim of assault. So it's really not, once we really started digging in, we realized that we really should be treating everybody the same. And, um, and, that, and then, of course, when it really came to light that everyone should be on a spectrum and not necessarily just men and women, 
that made it actually easier because then we could just treat everybody the same. And the only difference is genitalia might change, you know, mm, when we're yeah. choreographing and angles that might change how I mask or where my hand goes or what the story might be depending on the script. But since we have cross gender casting now, we have, you know, we have trans people on stage and we have non-binary people who, you know, it, it doesn't really matter what we're working with generally unless we're doing nude scenes and then we have to work around that. But like for the most part, it, it's, it's kind of the same for everybody and it has become more of the same for everybody as we've had this sort of discovery of, of gender in the last 10 years. Um, but yeah, early on, I started doing this work totally honest I started doing this work and my mentor said, this is great because you're a woman and people will trust you because you're a woman. Like I'm a big burly man. I can't go in and tell an 18 year old girl how to be sexy and how to do a strip tease, but you can, and no one's going to be afraid of you. And I thought, yeah, you're right. At the time I thought it is an asset to be a woman. And normally it's not an asset at all. You know, in stage combat, being a woman was a detriment. I would walk into the room and no one would respect me as a woman. Yeah. And so in this field, I was like, wow, this is a field where being a woman is an asset. Sign me up, you know? <laughs> so, yeah. it, but at the same time, you know, that was a long time ago before we realized how many women offenders there are too, that women can be just as aggressive. Women can be just as uh, dangerous. Mm -hmm. And I have a lot of stories of, female directors who've locked their students in closets so that they could find chemistry, who've taken their own clothes off uh, to show the actors how to take their clothes off at rehearsal just because they're a woman and they feel like, I'm a woman, nobody's offended by me. And that's where assaults come in, you know, yeah. and, and harassment straight up. That would make it so a little uncomfortable for me anyway. Yeah. <laughs> I think so, right? Yeah, I don't recommend that as Although, a technique. So. To be fair, on the on the <laughs> other side of the coin, I've had a, a fight choreographer, a female fight choreographer, and <laughs> oh boy, does she know her stuff? And boy, is she can yeah. she be scary at times. Oof. Yeah. Yes, I know some amazing Amazon women that do stage combat, and they also do intimacy. So. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that we're kind of erasing those gender norms as we go and and really truly seeing people as individuals, which I'm really pleased about. Me too. I think it's a good thing. I think, you know what I think is a great thing to talk about right now? Pillars <laughs> of safe intimacy. Let's do it. Let's do that. What's, what are they? Okay. And yes, tell us all about those, please. Okay, so the five pillars and the super secret sixth pillar, which Ooh. is not published. Okay. Um, so the five pillars of intimacy, we, um, Alicia and Siobhan and I um, began writing this document back in 2016. And we started with three pillars and then added the, added an, another one and we, and, and then added another one to, to come up with five. It was started with all of this started based off of my 12 years of research that I had done. Uh, workshopping and peer reviewing and figuring out what is the core foundation of how we should all be approaching this work. That it's not necessarily like my technique, which is intimacy for the state. That's a method. This is a philosophy. And so the pillars are really our foundational document of that we all agree is the way we do this, but we just all 
enact it differently with exercises. So it starts with context. Context is the first pillar. It's where we all figure out what the story is and we agree on it. We talk to the actors, talk to the director, we talk to the intimacy director, stage manager, everybody's part of this conversation. What is the story we're trying to tell very specifically um, in terms of the scene, in terms of the whole play itself, you know, what's the sexual journey of these characters? Um, and then we go to um, communication. Really, they go in a lot of different orders, but I do communication next. That's obvious. We have to be able to be talking. We have to be able, the actors have to be able to express themselves honestly in the space. Um, we can't be using triggering terms to upset people. You know, we don't call it the rape scene because that's kind of upsetting, you know, especially backstage. If somebody turns to me and says, Are you ready to do the rape scene? Uh, it's kind of nerve-wracking. That can be a little so, off-putting, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So we call it, you know, act two, scene one, or, you know, like the bedroom scene, or we just call it what it is, and, yeah. and we don't have to refer to it as a triggering term. Um, or referring to body parts as what they are. They have names. It's a breast. It's not a boob. You know, everything has a name, and we can call it by its anatomical name. We don't victimize people or objectify people with our language. Any compliments we give is not about their bodies or about something they can't control. It's about their work as an artist. So I don't say, wow, your ass looks amazing in this sex scene. I, that would be objectification, right? It would be more about the performance that you would want to compliment or, or talk about. It's a little, it's a little different. And also um, making sure that as an intimacy director, I'm not disclosing my private life on stage or, you know, in rehearsal, I'm not going to say, so I was kissing this guy last weekend. And so I really want to do it like that. So this is what I was doing. And can you do it like me or, you know, when I, you know, any, any sort of private personal story, we, we really try not to do, which in directing is okay. Sometimes, you know, you can talk about yourself as a director, mm-hmm. assuming it's not a sexual thing with intimacy. You cannot do that. Um, and even with fights, you can say, oh, I was in a bar fight once. You know, like you can talk about some of those things. In intimacy, you just can't because it's victimizing. So okay. we leave our private life out. Um, so then we move to consent. And obviously, we talked about consent, permission versus consent, making sure everybody understands what that means, making sure that everybody knows what their own boundaries are, because I can't say what your boundaries are for you. So we talk about all of that, make sure that we're all consenting as we go, um, it's got to be enthusiastic consent. Um, we use the fries method. It's got to be freely given. It's got to be retractable or reversible. Uh, it's got to be informed. Um, it has to be enthusiastic and it has to be specific. That's how you get full consent from everybody. And then we move on to choreography. And choreography is where we set, you know, we, we get the container of what we're going to work. We give them a roadmap of what they're going to do before they do it so that mm-hmm. they know what's going to happen so that we don't have to surprise anybody and the actors don't have to don't have to figure it out as they're going. They can just, I tell them what the choreography is going to be. We talk about the kiss before we do it and then they know what it's going to look like so that they can agree to it. So they don't, don't feel like either of them is, having to use their own sort of personal impulses. They can perform it as a character and separate themselves from the choreography. Um, and so that's all part of the technique that we teach, but there's a lot under choreography. 
Then we go to closure. Once we've choreographed everything and it's time to walk away or it's the end of rehearsal or it's the end of a show, we have different methods of closure. Um, you know, we tap in, we tap out um, or just give somebody a thumbs up across the stage so they know you're okay after the scene. You know, just knowing, okay, we were performing and now we're not performing, we're colleagues so that you can go back to your life. So you can zip off that character and come back to reality. Um, there's a lot of different methods for that. And in closure, we also include self-care of, you know, how actors have to have mental health, you know, fitness to do this job. It's a difficult job and, and it requires a lot of mental health fitness. So making sure that you're taking care of yourself at home, you know, whatever that means to each actor of, you know, maybe it's just going home and taking a shower, <laughs> washing it all off or mm -hmm. walking around in nature or doing something, you know, petting your dog. I have a service dog. I bring her into rehearsals with me so that she can help get people out of their head when they're done yeah, doing any emotional has, scene. Everybody has their own way of transitioning out of, of whatever phase. Yeah. 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 We just encourage them to continue to do that, to make sure that they have a point of doing that because a lot of times we don't, in this field and then we just keep this stuff on us and it can't shake it yeah. you know so closure is a really important part of the of the deal um so those are the five pillars gotcha and uh seems fairly comprehensive like yeah it's yeah. really honestly pretty straightforward and it's really it, it expands beyond intimacy i believe that it, it's a really great way to work in general in, in the theater yeah. because you know, even if you're not necessarily doing intimacy, if you're screaming at each other, you still need a way out of that. You know, you still want to wipe that off of you mm -hmm. when you go home. You yeah, know, I can, I can see it as an across the board, respectful way of just doing the process anyhow. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I agree. Yeah. I agree. So what's the super secret sixth pillar? <laughs> super secret sixth pillar, um, which they won't let me put on and publish because I think... Uh, I have too many pillars as it is, um, is change is once we know that there's a method for this that works, that there's protocol that we can follow, that we don't have to enable abuse in this industry anymore. Mm -hmm. We cannot go back to that. We cannot go back to that. Anybody who hears this podcast, anybody who hears or comes to a workshop and listens, those people have an obligation to go back to their companies, to their schools, to their departments, and to not allow abuse to happen in front of us anymore. We cannot enable it. We cannot sit and watch people be assaulted in front of us. Good. Yeah. That's perfect. Absolutely. It's a Which, communal effort. Yeah. You know, we, we all have to be part of this change. Absolutely. And that leads perfectly into my last question, which is on the same subject. Um, okay. You've been doing this for a while. And you probably, I don't know how many people you've worked with, but I'm assuming it's got to be a, a, a bunch, hundreds probably. Um, what kind of changes has Intimacy Directors International created in normal industry practices? Uh, we've always had, quote, accepted standards in the industry, and I'm sure those were flexible and malleable depending upon who was in charge. Yes. But how, what kind of effect have you had on various parts of the industry? Have things changed because of what you're doing? Um, 
Yeah, I guess this is like the toot my horn section. Oh, no, um, toot away. Seriously. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, which feels strange. But um, I can say that in the 15 years that I've been doing this, um, from the beginning to now, I can see a shift in actors in the way that they are now demanding safety. They're now being able to say no in rehearsal halls without fear of retribution. Um, young people who like when I was young and I was in college, I could never say no to anybody. I said yes to everything because that was what we were taught. If you say no, you'll get kicked out of this yep. program. You we'll won't get an A, you know? Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. So it's really beautiful to see these young people coming up and standing up for themselves and standing up for each other, that they're really more communal of an ensemble, you know, that they, they won't stand for that. And so the pedagogy that we learned is not the pedagogy that we can teach now. And I think that a lot of faculty in schools are starting to see this change and they're going, we have to do something about this because my students are not listening to me anymore. And it's like, yeah, they're not, they're not going to take what we took. They're different now. Yeah. They have a hive mind. They, they all have computers. We didn't have Facebook when I was in college, right? They, if something happens, they are all talking about it on Twitter. Whereas, you know, 15 years ago, if something happened, you had to be alone. You got to suffer your abuse by yourself. And so I'm seeing nothing is private and nothing is secret. Everything is out on the table and everything, there's a light flashing in the darkest corners of this industry now. And we're seeing all the mistakes that we've all made because we are all complicit in this, in this industry yeah. being what it is. If you've been in this industry for longer than 10 years, you've seen something or experienced something or done something or all three. And so, you know, I'm seeing these young people, I'm telling stories about what we experienced and they cannot believe the abuses that we've experienced. And that's really cool to me. Mm -hmm. You know, they have different challenges than we had. So I'm seeing Intimacy Directors International has, has brought a lot of this to the surface and said, this is a solution to this problem. And we're not pointing fingers and trying to blame everybody because we're all to blame. We're trying to move forward in a healthy way. We're trying to create the community that theater always meant to be, that we all got into this for the community. You know, it's church for some of us. Yeah. And so it, oh, yeah. it should be a safe place. It should be where we're most happy. And I think we lost sight of that for a while. And it's starting to come back because I think people are really starting to feel like they're being heard. Mm -hmm. We're starting to get more voices being heard. We're passing the microphone yep. to other demographics, which I think is extremely important to telling stories from different perspectives. Absolutely. Um, you know, we have the motto, no theater about us without us, which I think is absolutely wonderful. But if you're going to do a show, about disability, you better have somebody that's disabled on your team to, to, to give that perspective. You know, I think that that's really great that that's where we are now. Yeah. Trying to be respectful of all these perspectives. Well, all these things so, make, make perfect sense. <laughs> yeah, it's I know. Just, it seems ridiculous that they haven't been done before. I mean, this is how change is affected. One person yeah. makes a safe space for somebody to perform in, and then that person goes off having had that right to be safe. All right, that not a right that 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 uh, that situation to perform safely. Right? Yeah, they will yeah. demand that the next time. 
Absolutely, and, they'll know when they're when they're not safe in the future. And that's how things change. So, yeah, that's how they change. Yeah. So good work. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Listen, this has been absolutely wonderful. Thank you so very, very much for being here and talking about this. I, I think this is an unbelievably critical subject. And I wish everybody in the world would listen to this particular podcast. Um, let me, before we sign off, tell my listeners how they can find out more about Intimacy Directors International, about you and your colleagues, and how they can empower themselves to walk into their next theater project and work towards a safe atmosphere. Yeah. So anybody looking for more information about IDAI, um, Intimacy Directors International, our website is www.teamidi.org, T-E-A-M-I-D-I.org. Um, on our website, we have a lot of resources. We have a lot of articles you can read about this information. The pillars are actually on the website. You can you can print them out. You can bring them to your theater. You can bring them to your faculty. Uh, uh, there's a public version, and then if you pay $35, you can get a more extensive version for actors that has a little bit more tips on it, that is uh, a little more... Um, member information if, you, if you're interested in that and the donation just goes to us and helps us upkeep all the things we need to do um, my name is tony asina um and i'm the executive director i'm the head of pedagogy and founder um you can contact me uh if you are interested in working with me my all my information is on the website um we also have intimacy coordinators who work on film and that's a separate field uh, which is even more new and developing every day. And Alicia Rodas is the person who pretty much spearheaded that mission, but it's a team effort. All of us have contributed to that. Um, but look us up. Um, there's also other organizations that do this work. Um, Theatrical Intimacy does this work as well. And um, they just have a different method and they're mostly in academia, but um, you know, check them out. Get training, go to workshops, learn about this, demand better from from your community because we all need to be part of, of fixing the things that we've messed up in this community. Um, we travel, we come to your theater, we come to your school, we teach workshops, and we also choreograph shows. If you're looking for an intimacy director from different regions, you can look us up on the map and see who's closest to you, and we can come, and a lot of us travel. I travel all over the world. Sounds good. Thank you so much, Tony. Hey, kids. Thanks for listening to Onstage Offstage. Onstage Offstage is produced monthly, and all of our shows can be found at onstageoffstage.org and also on iTunes. If you enjoy what we do, please recommend us to your friends. Don't forget to like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at OnOffStage. And if you are a theater artist with an upcoming project of interest or work in a part of theater we haven't covered yet or know of someone in the theater world who'd make some great chat, please send us a note at info at onstageoffstage.org. Onstage Offstage believes in and advocates for a world where all people are free to live their lives as they wish, in peace and without fear. We believe in universal respect, diversity, and equality in all areas of life for all people no matter what their nationality, race, religion, age, sexual status, or gender. Onstage, offstage will never promote or endorse those who seek to diminish others because of who they are. I'm George Sapio. Thank you once again, and happy theatering to all of you. (laughs) 